Father Andrew Apostoli. Welcome to our series on entitled Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, A Prophet for Our Times. We're filming this segment of our series in a beautiful church of Christ the King in New Vernon, New Jersey. And we're here because this was a church that Bishop Sheen himself preached in. We have a beautiful picture of him preaching here. He was standing just about the center of the sanctuary preaching to the people, and uh, this photograph was taken of his evening when he was here. He came here on Ash Wednesday, or uh, it was February 27th, 1974, and he preached at the 7.30 Mass. This is a fitting place to talk about the Archbishop's great gift of the written word. You know, the old saying is that the pen is mightier than the sword. And the pen of Bishop Sheen was very mighty because he conveyed the word of God in, uh, in the written form where people could read this word and ponder it. You know, in his lifetime, he wrote over 60 books, 60 pamphlets. He wrote sermons, lectures. He wrote columns for various newspapers. Besides writing his talks for his radio shows and his, also for his television programs. Bishop Sheen covered all kinds of topics when he wrote. He dealt with the mission of Jesus, the, the work, the, our Lord's work of salvation in the world, in the, especially in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. He dealt with communism, you know, the, all the other isms, Nazism, fascism, that were threatening the stability of the world and peace. Uh, he talked about practical problems, problems of love and freedom. When he died, he was writing a new book. He wrote about 15 pages. He had handwritten them. It was going to be on the Holy Spirit, a wonderful topic that he inspired for me in my own life um, to not only preach about, but to write a few books on the Holy Spirit myself. The first book that Bishop Sheen wrote was entitled God and Intelligence in Modern Philosophy. When Bishop Sheen was ordained, he was sent out to study philosophy. He spent two years at Catholic University but he didn't feel he could really gain a good degree there because he didn't seem to have the depth that he was looking for. And he spoke to one of the faculty members who said to him, what are you, what are you interested in? And, and uh, young Father Sheen said, well, there's two things I want to know. What are the problems of the world today? What is modern man thinking? And secondly, how can we solve the problems of the modern world in the light of the philosophy of St. Thomas Aquinas? He was very, very taken with the philosophy of St. Thomas. In fact, during his years of study, uh, he actually read everything that St. Thomas Aquinas had ever written. And so, 1925, when he was at Louvain, he was given an invitation to work for a degree.
and identifying governance structures and dynamics through which to articulate participation and authority over time in a missionary synodal church. Rooted in this awareness, the Instrumentum Laboris affirms, is the desire for a church that is also increasingly synodal in its institutions, structures, and procedures. I'm Sister Bernadette Reese. President Biden and Vice President Harris will participate in a campaign event on Friday to mark the one-year anniversary of the Supreme Court's overturning of Roe v. Wade. The event, that will include pro-abortion groups, will be held in Washington, D.C. a day before the actual anniversary of Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, which is on Saturday. This weekend in North Carolina, Vice President Harris is slated to give a major speech to rally supporters of abortion. The governor of Pennsylvania says traffic will begin flowing along Interstate 95 again this weekend. A portion of the busy highway has been closed since a bridge collapsed last week due to a tanker truck fire. While giving an update on repairs yesterday, Governor Josh Shapiro said paving should begin today. The temporary roadway with Six lanes open to traffic will be used until a permanent fix is completed. The closure has had an impact on commuters along with shipping and trucking. The Defense Department is now assisting in the search for a missing vessel used to explore the Titanic wreckage. DOD spokesperson Sabrina Singh told reporters yesterday that C-130 aircrafts are conducting search flights over the area, She said the Navy has been coordinating with the Coast Guard, which is leading the search. The U.S. Coast Guard is in a race against time as it's believed the submersible has less than 30 hours of oxygen left. It had five people on board when it went missing on Sunday. South Florida immigration advocates want the Biden administration to grant new temporary protected status designation for Nicaragua. Trey Thomas reports. Immigration advocate Thomas Kennedy says it will protect them from deportation and give them the benefit of employment authorization. You know, we need uh, the administration uh, at the federal level to do more than talk and walk the walk. Last week, the Biden administration announced the extension of TPS for Nicaraguans living in the U.S. since Hurricane Mitch in 1998. But without the redesignation, thousands of others already living here remain at risk. I'm Trey Thomas. And a restaurant in California must pay $140,000 to its workers after hiring a fake priest to get confessions out of them. Federal investigators are calling it the most shameless act of corruption, a business of a business against its staff. According to the Department of Labor, an employee testified that the owner of the restaurant in Sacramento hired someone to hear confessions during work hours to extract what they called sins. That included asking them if they'd ever been late to work, stolen money or harbored bad intentions toward the company. The Diocese of Sacramento confirmed there was no connection between this alleged priest and the diocese. So I'm kind of wondering how long this went on before somebody asked, like, hey, are you really a priest? Hang on a second. Isn't it weird that our boss, our regular job, brought in a priest so that all the employees could come to confession? And isn't it weird that I said, bless me, Father, I have sinned, and said— what was on my heart, and he's like, 
well, let's talk about your work day. What do you do when you first come in? <laughs> but what's you your know method what? for counting the money? Can we just can Wait we talk second. about this from um, a positive standpoint for one second? They like, all went. To they confession. all went to conf. Yeah. They all went. Well, they thought they were going well, to didn't. confession anyway. They were willing to go to confession. So interesting. I mean, we don't know that they all were, but we know that. I mean, some was. of them were. Yeah. So that means that the only people who are righteous in that restaurant, mm-hmm. well, is everybody but the manager. Yeah, think about confessing that. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I, I hired, hired someone some... to impersonate you. <laughs> I was laughing because Father Hezekiah Carnazzo is from Sacramento. I was like, man, he'd probably love this job. Go to the like, go to some restaurant. I bet you get some free food. Yeah. Listen to some and he wouldn't tell a soul what you said. Exactly, he's actually bound by the seal of confession. Unlike, unlike this no. fake impersonator. Priest. What a weird scam. I know. It's so strange. Uh, What a way to start a Wednesday. Do a Senate on that. I know, right? Today is Wednesday, June the 21st. It is the Feast of St. Aloysius Gonzaga. Pray for us. It's nine past. Dr. John Bergsma back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So the last time we were together, we were talking about the relationship between God and the people of Israel in the time of Moses. And next up in your book is the story of Boaz and Ruth, a rather important courtship in the history of salvation. But before we get to their encounter and their relationship, we need to understand the backstory. So we have the death of Moses at the very end of the book of Deuteronomy, correct? Right. And then in between that and the book of Ruth are are two books in the Bible, the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. So can you take us through the the gist of the story to get from Moses to Ruth? Absolutely. So Joshua, you know, we have Moses' successor taking the people of Israel into the Promised Land. He is a strong leader. Things go largely well under his leadership, and the people subdue the land and gain control of it, and they more or less behave under his tenure and that of his immediate successors. But things go really downhill after that, and we enter into the tumultuous period of the judges, which lasts maybe 200 years, where there's no strong central authority, just these charismatic leaders rise up periodically to help the people, and, um, you know, as military leaders, etc., we call these judges, these are figures like Gideon and Samson and Jephthah, etc., and, uh, you know, things go all right when these judges are leading the people in battle. But in the in-between times, there is just a lot of moral chaos, and people get really mistreated. And the book of Judges ends with two really unpleasant stories, both of which involve, um, you know, the mistreatment of women in particular, which is kind of a sign of society being in a very bad state. How society treats women, orphans, and the vulnerable 
uh, is a mark of whether we have a moral and civilized society, and that is not the case at the end of the Book of Judges. Yeah, the you write in the book, the theme of the book of Judges is stated clearly twice. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And that's dangerous for for any number of reasons, isn't it, Doc? It sure is. And it more or less sounds like American culture. Everyone does what's right in his own eyes. In other words, you know, that's good for you. This, this is good for me. That's good for you. You know, different strokes for different folks. It's what we call moral relativism, where everybody makes up their own rules. And it does not work out in the long run. And it's not going to work out well for us either. And uh, yeah, so we need to preach the gospel. Yeah. So um, you talked about um, the the effect that this would have on women. There's really no respect for the dignity of marriage leading into this book of Ruth, I guess. There isn't. Yeah, we have this uh, account of the tribe of Benjamin that is complicit in this terrible atrocity to uh, the wife of a certain Levite. And, uh, you know, at least the Israelites go to war against the tribe of Benjamin to avenge this um, terrible treatment. Uh, but then at the end of it, the, ben- the tribe of Benjamin gets almost wiped out. They only have a few survivors left, and they steal wives. They steal a bunch of girls to be the wives of these remaining Benjaminites so that the tribe doesn't die out. So it's like two wrongs don't make a right. And uh, that leads into the book of Ruth. Now, who is Ruth, and how does she enter the story of salvation here? Absolutely. So we got this Israelite family in Bethlehem, and of course Bethlehem means house of bread because it was one of the richest grain-growing regions in Israel. And in the opening of the book of Ruth, they have no bread in the house of bread. There's a famine, and they have to go to Moab, which is a hated enemy territory, you know, something like how Russia traditionally has been antagonistic towards the U.S. If you could imagine a family of corn farmers from Nebraska having to emigrate to Russia because of a famine, (laughs) that's kind of what we've got at the opening of Ruth. And so this Bethlehemite family goes over there, and the sons of the family marry Moabite women, and Ruth is one of those women. Now, this would normally be a troublesome thing because the Moabites are pagans, right? But Ruth is a rather special Moabite. She is indeed. After the sons die, and the father of the family as well, and uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law, is heading back to Israel, she tells the daughters-in-law, hey, go back, there's no future for you uh, with me. But Ruth says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. And what's so beautiful about this, Anne, is this is covenant-making language. She is swearing a personal covenant to Naomi to be Naomi's daughter and to be an Israelite and to practice the Israelite faith. And it's so touching because it's a, it's a 100% in. You know, I'm giving everything, not not holding anything back. I'm completely throwing in my lot with you. 
and um, and it's very risky and even vulnerable for Ruth to do that, but she does so out of love for her mother-in-law. Why is that dangerous for her? Well, because we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, she could get back to Bethlehem. She could get mistreated. She Maybe no Israelite man will marry her. Maybe she just ends up as an old maid caring for her elderly mother-in-law in kind of miserable poverty for the rest of her life. So we just don't know what's going to happen. Okay, and uh, we'll largely leave it there for now. But this this love between these two women, this this family bond that they have, will lead to really great things, Ruth, and and really for all of us, right, Doc? <laughs> Every one of us, yes. It's um, you know, Ruth is a book about how fidelity to covenant, fidelity to family, provokes other acts of faithfulness and ultimately leads to life, joy, the growth of the family of God. Amen to that. You'll find out more next time we get together with Dr. John Bergsman. In the meantime, pick up his book, Love Basics for Catholics. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Headlines up next. It's 17 past. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene meals and light housework, and services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some Monk Shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Holy See has released the working document that will guide the discussions for participants in October in the first of two assemblies in the Synod on Synodality. President Biden and Vice President Harris have confirmed they'll be participating in a campaign event, a pro-abortion campaign event, to mark the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Pope Francis has written a message to those participating in the Vatican Observatory's Summer School of Astrophysics. 
Oh, sorry, I fell asleep there for a second when you started talking about the scented stuff. <laughs> Matt, you I'm are having such terrible. a hard time. You're terrible. So, here's the thing. Uh, you and I both have to do interviews about the instrumental of the Warriors today, and so I'm trying to read this thing, and I did not make enough coffee. <laughs> so well, there's a lot more. of you got a little bit of time before I your know. interview. So, so I will say this: there's some really good stuff in here, but man, I feel like one of the reforms that the church could use is a reform and simplification of its vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So like at the end of paragraph 57, it says, how can we imbue our structures and institutions with the dynamism of the missionary synodal church? I could tell you how you can imbue them with more dynamism. Use less words. <laughs> Fewer words, Matt. Know. Fewer words. This is why I'm not in charge of writing instrumental laboruses. <laughs> it's 21 past for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. A Marian prayer from the Celtic tradition. Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Queen of Grace, Mother of Mercy, Hail Mary in manner unsurpassing, font of our health, source of our joy. To thee we, night and day, erring children of Adam and Eve, lift our voice in supplication, in groans and grief and tears. Bestow upon us, thou root of gladness, since thou art the cup of generous graces, the faith of John and Peter and Paul, with the wings of Gabriel on the heights of the clouds. Vouchsafe to us, thou golden branch, a mansion in the realm of peace. Rest from the perils and stress of waves, beneath the shade of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. For Sacred Heart Catholic Radio, I'm Father Benedict O'Kinsella. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swim, joined now by Father Rob Jackies, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio. You hear his prayers aired here on the Sunrise Morning Show all the time. Father Rob, good morning. Morning, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and uh, I'm trying to be a laborer in the vineyard, uh, but there's only one of me. Luckily, there's more than one of me in the church. <laughs> so, well, uh, the, you're right. Jesus recognizes this reality from the beginning, right? Well, I, it's amazing when you begin to actually look at that passage. Jesus looks over. He's just begun his ministry. He's done the Sermon on the Mount, and he looks over, and he he, he observes the people. You know, he doesn't go in, and, if you will, with a, a marketing plan or anything. He observes the people. And in verse 36, Jesus was moved with pity because he saw they were troubled and abandoned. 
they, they saw, he saw, I think, a world enslaved in, in the name of false freedom. And you, you see that as well as I do, where you live out in, in D.C. You know, you look at the people and you say, good Lord, they need something, don't you? I mean, they need something. I also know that I need something, right? Well, that's and I think true. They know that they need something. We don't, don't always know what it is. I mean, I think that's part of it. Well, I think they need what we need. And see, this is where, this is where I think we're, we're failing in many ways. Now, oftentimes we think uh, of very complex ways of trying to get people to come to Christ. The simplest way to do that is to tell them who Jesus is. And this is unfortunately one of the things that we Catholics tend to lack. You know, we'll talk about moral problems and theological methodologies, and good Lord, I'm a member of that club. But what's clear is the only thing that's going to draw people to really change their heart is to know Jesus Christ. Does that sound familiar to you? <laughs> I mean, it sounds familiar to me from my time as an evangelical Protestant, for sure. Yeah. But, well, I mean, see, this as is, evangelical this is Catholic, part of being a Christian, right? Well, it is. But, I'm, but how many people actually know the Lord in that sense? If you were to ask people, I mean, you know, it was funny last week. Well, it wasn't funny. It was sad. You saw on the show Jeopardy, you heard that a simple phrase, it says, okay, complete this phrase, our Father who art in heaven, blank be thy name. And not one of those people knew the answer to that. Now, a few million watching knew, because they were throwing things at the television. But to have that simple message out there to the people is something that we as Catholics have to know. I, I do an examination every day, and I say, you look around the world, it is. I spent many hours in the hospital beds and, and working in hospices and just dealing with people in the parish. And the thing is, is I have to mention Jesus to them. I just can't assume it. I can't presume it. You can't do that nowadays. And I think this is what the apostles were told. You know, these, he gave them a very simple message. Go tell them the kingdom of God's at hand. Okay, that's all he said. And the apostles could handle that. I don't know if they can handle a whole lot more than that. But what they really gave was what Jesus has done for them in their life, what Jesus is doing for them now, and what Jesus can do for them if they follow him. Because I, there's many people, and you know this as well as I do, we will say we profess faith in Christ, but we don't live it. And there is a, there is a challenge for this world today, because if, if the world saved by sin, and Christ has freed the world by sin, then you and I are the only ones who can tell them, because, you know, priests and religious, often this passage is used for vocations, and, and rightly so, but the people who are working every day and living in their families are the ones that are on the front lines. You know, you and your family, Anna and her family, you're in the front lines. And when you begin to talk about who Jesus is, and you tell them, what Jesus can do. And you simply say, I'll pray for them. But that's backed up by behavior. That's what's going to bear fruits in the kingdom, in my opinion. Well, and uh, not just your opinion, uh, in the experience of so many of us who have seen how this plays out, uh, you know, a lot of people think that they got to go out and uh, stand up on the break table in the break room during lunch and, you know, give a sermon. And that's not what this is about. It's amazing no. how much of an impact you can have if you're the guy in the locker room who doesn't laugh when someone tells a dirty joke and people think, I wonder what's different about that guy. Like, it's, it's, it takes just a tiny bit of intentional effort to be Christian 
in the times that matter, and people will notice. Well, and that's the thing. If they notice that, if they notice we have a, a life that, while it has its troubles, it seems balanced, that we show hope in the midst of this. I mean, if, if someone who's a Christian doesn't look any different than someone who's not, you know, you watch the same shows, you do the same thing, you wear the same clothes, all those kind of things, and there's nothing behind it. Then, then you know, we we are as we're as lukewarm as everyone else. But to have that that relationship with the Lord, which comes, of course, from knowing who the Lord is, knowing what He teaches, and and living it, because you know as well as I, having it in your mind is one thing, but living it out every day, especially when you'd rather not do it is really where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, and uh, there are going to be 100 million opportunities for each one of us today, <laughs> right, today to make that right. choice of, of living it or not. I mean, I w- wonder if you could leave us maybe with a word of encouragement for someone who's like, yeah, Father Rob, that sounds really great, but you don't know what I've got to wrestle with today in my workplace, I mean, in my family. What what would you say maybe to, to, to share a word of encouragement for someone who's like, I don't know if I can do that today? Well, the encouragement is that we don't do it alone. If we believe that, if we believe completely and totally that we are not alone in everything that we do, because objectively, if we are baptized and we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and we live a moral life and we're tied to the sacraments, those that's the power that we don't ever recognize that we have. And in having that, and in moving with that, and in showing that. As long as we trust in the Lord and don't take the credit. See, I take the blame very quickly, but I never take the credit. (laughs) And in taking (laughs) that credit, you begin to recognize that when I walked into a room of someone who is dying or a hospital patient, I'm saying, Lord, I can't handle this, but I'm going to have to do something good for these people. You're going to have to help me. And just make that statement, Lord, you're going to have to help me. Every morning when you get up, give the Lord the preemptive strike. Say, Lord, i got to deal with a bunch of crazy people today. And in order to do that, I'm going to need your patience, I'm going to need your wisdom, and I'm also going to need bail money just in case I get in trouble. There you go. That's not a bad word of encouragement at all. Father Rob Jack, always appreciate you. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon. You have a good day, Matt. You can find a link to Father Rob at sunrisemorningshow.com. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news. Good morning. The Holy See released the Instrumentum Laboris, or working document, that will, go, that will guide the discussions in the Assembly in the Synod on Synodality this October. Bishop Daniel Flores, who has been in charge of the synodal process in the United States, welcomed the document. He said in a statement, quote, the Instrumentum Laboris presents the people of God with a remarkable opportunity to reflect on what we have learned thus far about the nature of a synodal church and how we might embrace that more fully, end quote. President Biden and Vice President Harris will participate in a pro-abortion campaign event on Friday to mark the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the ruling from the Supreme Court Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health The event will include pro-abortion groups and will be held in D.C. just a day before the actual anniversary of the Dobbs decision. This weekend in North Carolina as well, Vice President Harris is slated to give a major speech to rally abortion supporters. The Pentagon says an accounting error revealed last month 
overvalued military aid to Ukraine by roughly $6.2 billion. More from Brian Shook. It was announced Tuesday that the error includes fiscal years 2022 and 2023 when the U.S. transferred weaponry. Services used replacement costs rather than net book value, according to officials. That resulted in overestimating the value of the equipment drawn down from the U.S. stocks and provided to Ukraine. The final calculation of the error exceeds the $3 billion that the Pentagon previously estimated. I'm Brian Shook. The Defense Department is assisting now in the search for a missing vessel used to explore the Titanic wreckage. DOD spokesperson Sabrina Singh told reporters yesterday that C-130 aircrafts are conducting search flights over the area. She said the Navy has been coordinating with the Coast Guard, which is leading the search. Yesterday marked World Refugee Day. Pope Francis had highlighted the day during his Sunday Angelus address when he prayed for the migrants who recently drowned off the coast of Greece after a shipwreck with some 700 passengers aboard. Pope Francis has written a message to those participating in the Vatican Observatory's Summer School of Astrophysics. From Vatican Radio, Linda Bordoni reports. Pope Francis was recovering in hospital last week after undergoing surgery when he penned his message of greetings and appreciation to this year's participants in the Vatican Observatory Summer School. Never, he said to them, lose the sense of wonder in your research and in your lives as you continue to observe the universe with increasingly sophisticated tools. The summer school in Castel Gandolfo that is back after a five-year hiatus due in part to the COVID-19 pandemic was established in 1986 for young astronomers and has always enjoyed the support of the popes. The Holy Father observed that recently developed scientific tools such as the new James Webb Space Telescope offers astrophysicists the possibility to see how the universe continues to expand and change before our eyes. As young scholars at the dawn of the 21st century, he continued, you seek in the course of this summer school to grasp something of that vast expanse and to develop methods capable of better digesting and understanding the constant flow of new data. But he also highlighted how new tools are insufficient if used without wisdom and expertise. And he invited the young astronomers who observe reality through the window of astronomy not to neglect the other windows that, he said, can reveal other important realities like compassion and love. I'm Linda Bordoni. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. My God, if we were to grasp heavenly inspirations in all their fullness and power, we would make great progress in virtue in very short time. No matter how abundant the source of the water is, the water does not enter the garden in proportion to the source, but in proportion to the canal that carries it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit, as a source of living water, surrounds our heart on all sides to scatter His graces according to His pleasure. But He does not want to enter the heart without the free consent of our will or without our cooperation. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Chris Armstrong. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zemek from followingthetruth.com. We've been going through the stories of people in uh, the Bible who have gone through all kinds of struggles and difficulties and what their uh, spiritual journeys, as it were, today in a literal sense, can tell us about uh, how to uh, see God in our own lives. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. I mentioned spiritual journeys because uh, today we get to talk about the road to Emmaus and a couple of disciples who are actually on a physical walking journey out of town, right, when we meet them. So yeah. if you could, give us a sort of the backdrop of this story before we dig into it. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what, Matt, this is a great story. This is the story of, as you said, two disciples traveling on the road to a town called Emmaus. We read this in the 24th chapter of Luke's Gospel. This occurred after the death and, and the resurrection of Jesus. But they weren't aware of this at the time. They are bummed out. They're depressed because the, their Redeemer just died on the cross. The one who they had hoped would redeem Israel, he had just died on the cross. They were distraught. They were, they were you know, aimless. They, their dreams had been shattered. And then, lo and behold, Jesus walks with them. He joins them on the journey, even though they don't know it's him. And we get to eavesdrop on the journey. On the, the dialogue between the disciples and Jesus himself, ultimately they, they realize that it's Jesus, then he disappears. Uh, you know, it's such a great story because it reminds us of the fact that oftentimes when our dreams don't go the way we planned, when things don't go the way we expected, we get discouraged, we get depressed, we, we feel hopeless. This story reminds us that Jesus meets us, in those times, even though we might not be aware of his presence, and if we have that dialogue with him, if, he, if we try to reach out to him, we're going to encounter him, and then we just may realize that his dreams for us are better than the dreams we had for ourselves. I love this story for so many reasons, uh, but I want to talk about the awareness factor here, because 
they, yeah. I wonder how long Jesus let them go on in terms of like what the how many hours <laughs> it took uh, before yeah. he yeah lets them know who he is. Like I, I mean, I wonder if somebody were to hit the stopwatch and you know, it's kind of a microcosm of of what every Christian life is like, people thinking that, you know, God is not paying attention, God doesn't care. All the time, the Lord is walking alongside of us, and we're just not aware of it. And only, you know, after a good long while uh, does he kind of do something to break in and say, just so you know, I was with you the whole time. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think we could all sort yeah. of relate yeah. to that experience. And I think it's really, really cool that the Lord sort of draws it out of them. He he plays along with them. Oh, what things are you talking about? You know, so that we can see uh, what's going on in their minds, so we can we can hear that those thoughts expressed to Jesus by them, even though they don't they don't realize it's him. That thought of like we we hope that that you were good, that our, he was going to be the redeemer. He would free us from Roman oppression. Our lives were going to be different. This is the way it should be. And now, oh well, now all of our dreams are dead. But we get that insight by that dialogue that they're having with Jesus. And ultimately, the, the really neat thing is he does reveal himself to them, and they do recognize at some point that it is him, and they realize that things are a lot better than they thought at first. You know what's fascinating to me? Well, I mean, there are a number of things that are fascinating to me about this, uh, including all the layers of this that uh, I didn't recognize until I became Catholic. Uh, but... Jesus is by their side, walking alongside them, even though they're going in the wrong direction, like the literally opposite mm. direction of where they should be going. He still manages to walk alongside right. them and, and and accompany them. Right, exactly. It, it, you know, it's a good reminder for us that even when we take a wrong turn, the Lord's going to, he's not going to give up on us. He's going to keep seeking us out, and he'll meet us where we are with the hopes of bringing us back to where we should be. He no matter how bad we mess up. And, and you know, that's one of the, the themes that I, I like to highlight throughout this book, is that no matter how bad we mess up, no matter how bad somebody else messes up and it affects us, no matter how bad our circumstances are, it's never too late. It is not hopeless. And these stories serve as proof that the Lord's He's there, even though we don't see Him, even though we don't see the goodness in what we're going through. He's there and he can bring good out of whatever it is that we're facing. Well, there's another, I think, important lesson from this story, because after having walked with them in, an, in a way that they did not perceive for all that time, and then he reveals himself to them in a powerful way in the breaking of the bread, uh, I mean, he doesn't say, hey, guys, it's me, you know, and they're like, oh, that's right. amazing, Jesus why don't you walk back to Jerusalem with us? No, he's gone, <laughs> right? He is, yeah. uh, you know, he's yes. been made known to them in the breaking of the bread, which is like a deeply Eucharistic passage and encounter here. Yeah. But then, you know, they have to kind of take that experience and build on that without him, you know, kind of like visibly among them in the way that he was when they were on that trip. So, I mean, we get these flashes of things, but they don't, they don't usually stay with us. We kind of have to, you know, identify these touch points of encounter and, and and weave them together instead of, I mean, because Christ doesn't, I mean, he's not going to be riding in the passenger seat in his, you know, <laughs> full humanity and full divinity with us today. So we kind of have to ride on right. what we've been given at various points. Exactly. And that's why we shouldn't get discouraged when we, and, and, and I, I talk to people about this a lot because it's something that I, I've struggled with, 
when we shouldn't get discouraged when we attend Mass and we might not feel anything, even after we receive Jesus in the Eucharist. Sometimes we're not going to feel anything, but through faith, that, that, that strength of belief that we have, we can believe that it's Jesus, and eventually we're going to get to know Him better, and our confidence in Him will grow, and our confidence in His real presence will grow, even if we don't always feel it. But I think you make a key point here is we're going to have to do some work. That's what walking by faith is all about. It's not just right before our eyes where we see as if there's no work on our part to be done. I look outside, I see a tree. I don't have to work too hard to recognize that that's a tree. But recognizing the hidden Jesus in the Eucharist, that takes a little more effort. And also, we don't want to forget that through all of the sacraments, we have an encounter with Jesus. So when I go to confession and the priest absolves me in the, in the person of Christ of my sins, I might not see Jesus, I might not really feel like he's there, but that's him, that's that, that mysterious, that mystical encounter with the Lord. But unless I, I'm willing to be open and do a little work, I could easily miss his presence. Yeah, it's a powerful thing to reflect upon, and one of the coolest stories of the resurrected Jesus in all of Scripture. Gary Zimak, if our listeners want to connect with you, get a copy of your book. How do they do so? The easiest thing to do, Matt, is go right to my website, followingthetruth.com. And the book is called When Your Days Are Dark, God Is Still Good. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Gary, thanks as always. Talk to you again soon. All right, my friend. Thank you. God bless. Anna Mitchell and Dr. Matthew Bunsen are up next talking about the latest regarding the Synod and the Instrumentum Laboris. We'll even tell you what that word means. Those words mean it is a quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. 
EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 13 till. The Sunrise Morning Show continues and Dr. Matthew Bunsen is joining us again. He's vice president and editorial director for EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Very good to be with you. It is very good to have you. And the Instrumentum Laboris, or working document, which will guide the discussions uh, when the gathering for the Synod on Synodality gets underway in Rome in October, has just been released. I want to start off asking, how has the Church understood the idea of synodality through the centuries, and how does this working document represent or, or indicate perhaps an attempt to, to shift that understanding? Yeah, well, the Francis uh, himself, uh, going all the way back to 2015, uh, used the term synodality uh, quite a bit, as we all know. Uh, it really made an appearance uh, at the end of the Synod on Youth uh, in 2018. And now it's become, I think, one of the, the pillars of uh, this pontificate. As Pope Francis describes it, uh, it is uh, the idea of a synod or synodality is journeying together, it's a coming together. And it is uh, a listening, it is accompaniment. Uh, as the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, I think back in 2018, described it, it's the action of the Spirit in the communion of the body of Christ and the missionary journey of the people of God. Now, we can see some elements of that in this instrument in Laboris, uh, but I think one of the big challenges that the, the Holy Father has had and the organizers of the Synod on Synodality have had really from the beginning is articulating precisely what that means in practical ecclesiological terms, uh, let alone practical execution terms. <laughs> Yeah, so it should be noted that whoever is going to be at this assembly in October, we don't know who they will be yet. They just haven't been announced. But they will be having a, quote, conversation in the spirit. What does that mean? Well, what it means uh, is, uh, I think Cardinal Mario Grech, uh, yesterday in his uh, press conference, uh, was at some pains to, to point out and to remind everyone that the Instrumentum itself is not a magisterial document, right. so that, that needs to be stressed here. But one of the things that the, he talks about is that uh, the Holy Father is insisting uh, on a synodal process for what he describes as a synodal church, and they know that when you hear the word synodal repeated multiple times in a sentence, it starts to, to sort of blur. But he said because he wants the church, the Holy Father, they become more spiritual, and, and they always stress that the protagonist of the synodal church is the Holy Spirit, and that there are certain signs of the synodal church, as he puts it. It's the church of listening, of encounter, and dialogue, of openness, of welcoming, and embracing to all. Now, that means listening. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean, or does not mean, as far as uh, the Holy Father has certainly stressed, massive changes to the teachings of the Church. Yeah, so uh, with that in mind, then, what sort of things will they be discussing? 
Well, the instrument in itself uh, lists uh, in two parts. One is a discussion of synodality and uh, the vision of Holy Father for this. The second is a series of discernment questions, and I think that's where uh, a number of eyebrows were raised uh, once the instrument was released, because there are a number of areas that... uh, are there that uh, I think are considered controversial. One is uh, the outreach to the so-called LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. The other is the role of women in the life of the Church, and the document does state very specifically and ask the question, should it uh, be possible to consider uh, a diaconate uh, for women? It also asks the question, uh, would it be possible to consider in certain areas of the Church and end the priestly celibacy? But the biggest uh, area of discussion, I think, in terms of the discernment questions, is the issue of authority in the Church, and finding new ways, it says, uh, for leadership to be exercised, the exercise of authority and responsibility in the Church, and that one, I think, is the most significant aspect of this instrumental. Yeah, talk about this issue, or this this theme of authority, and, and why it will be significant moving forward. Well, I think that the discussions relating to uh, synodality, if we're talking about listening, if we're talking about uh, a process of discernment and how we walk together, uh, one of the questions that is asked is, all right, then, if uh, there is this push for greater listening, how does that impact the exercise of authority in the Church? And the word authority itself, actually, in 50 times, uh, it appears in the text. And it asks some pretty significant questions, I think. But one is, for example, in, in every age, the exercise of authority and responsibility within the Church is influenced by the prevailing management models and the imagery of power in society. So it asks, how can we become aware of this and exercise an evangelical discernment, as it puts it? It also asks a question, and this, this is another one that I think has raised a number of eyebrows, is what can we learn about the exercise of authority and responsibility from other churches and ecclesial communities? Mm. And let's be clear about what we as Catholics understand ecclesial communities to mean. That would be uh, churches like the Lutherans uh, and the Church of England. So essentially we're asking what can we learn from them uh, about authority and responsibility. Well, I can uh, tell it, you it, what we've <laughs> learned from them about authority and responsibility. Go on, Dr. Bunsen, sorry. Well, yes, exactly. Uh, and one other interesting question that did catch my eye is it asks the question, what stimuli from indigenous minority and the press culture can help us to rethink our decision-making processes? So, in other words, it's asking us uh, uh, what would be uh, ways that we can rethink how we have leadership in the Church or authority in the Church by listening to these other groups. Uh, so, as you can imagine, these, these are very open-ended conversations, and we have to keep coming back to the fact that, as they say, is not a magisterial document. The Holy Father has repeatedly said that we're not looking at making changes to the teachings of the Church, but how we can be more transparent uh, and have voices heard in the life of the Church. So we take that uh, as our starting point for discussions, we hope. Okay, this is where I just get confused, Dr. Bunsen, and I don't know if you can parse this out to to help me and and maybe listeners in a similar mindset understand if 
if they're just trying to listen more, and what is, why are they asking questions like, should there be a women's diaconate or a married priesthood? If this is something that they, they're not looking to alter church teaching, why are we even asking the question? I mean, what is the point of listening if we know that it's, you know what I mean? Yes, uh, and it's it's a fair question. It's one I think that uh, many people are asking. It it assumes an important um, well assumption, uh, and that is that uh, there is no desire to change the teachings of the church, uh, but uh, that those who are concerned about this are trying to be heard in the life of the church. Hmm. Now, it raises obvious risks. Uh, and we're going to, I think this adds even greater importance to who exactly is going to be participating in this synodal yeah. discussion come October. Well, when that list gets released, Dr. Bunsen, you can bet that you will be uh, asked back on to the Sunrise Morning Show to uh, tell us more about who will be in these discussions. In the meantime, go read the Catholic News Agency's story on the working document, which is uh, really good. Um, summary of of everything catholicnewsagency.com Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much Good to be with you, take care Keep praying Yes, absolutely, thank you so much Doc Alright, we got another hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio Radio.com It is Wednesday, the 28th of June, the Feast of St. Irenaeus of Lyon. Let's pray the collect for the Feast of St. Irenaeus in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O God, who called the Bishop St. Irenaeus to confirm true doctrine and the peace of the Church, grant we pray through his intercession that being renewed in faith and charity, we may always be intent on fostering unity and concord. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Irenaeus. Pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along here on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, man, we got a we got another heavy duty hour. We'll talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora about building better uh, parish vacation Bible school programs. Some of you are in the thick of those right now. Uh, we'll talk to Andrew Pettiprin about Pope Francis's recent letter. On Blaise Pascal, we haven't really had a chance to talk much about that, but there's a there's a lot going on in that letter. Let me just tell you. Well, let me tell you in a few minutes. Father John Gavin will talk more about Saint Irenaeus and uh, how he's referenced in the Catechism, and specifically in regard to the Holy Spirit and the baptized Catholic. And then Father Thomas Berg has more thoughts on how to forgive. So stay with us if you can. Right now, 
It is two minutes past. News of service of Bridgetown Finer Meats and BridgetownFinerMeats.com, as well as Central Fabricators and CentralFabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. President Biden has said that as a practicing Catholic, he's, quote, not big on abortion, but said he will continue to defend it as a right. At a Maryland fundraiser yesterday, Biden followed that up by saying, quote, Roe v. Wade got it right. He went on to criticize states that have passed laws restricting access to abortion since last year's Supreme Court decision overturning the 1973 ruling. Biden has previously made his personal feelings about abortion clear, but says he will continue to protect access to the abortion pill and increase the availability of contraception. Meanwhile, 31 Democratic congressmen and women signed on to a letter over the weekend expressing pride in being, quote, part of the faithful pro-choice Catholic majority. In the letter dated June 24th, the first anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health, they say, quote, our faith unfailingly promotes the common good, prioritizes the dignity of every human being, and highlights the need to provide a collective safety net to our most vulnerable, end quote. But they go on to say that they can't impose their religious beliefs on others. They said, quote, the fundamental tenets of our Catholic faith, social justice, conscience, and religious freedom, compel us to defend a woman's right to access abortion. We are committed, they say, to advocating for the respect and protection of those making the decision if and when to have children, end quote. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is beginning his two-day mission in Moscow today. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Pope Francis is in Well, that story's not going to work, but Cardinal Zuppi has been sent by the Holy Father on this mission as a peace envoy over the war in Ukraine. He'll be making this two-day visit today and tomorrow in Moscow. The Holy See communique announcing this visit said, quote, the primary purpose of the initiative is to encourage gestures of humanity that may contribute to promoting a solution to the tragic current situation and to find ways to reach a just peace. Meanwhile, the United States has announced another $500 million weapons package for Ukraine. Yesterday, the Biden administration announced it will be sending weapons, equipment, and armored vehicles to replenish those lost in battle. This news coming the same day that the Pentagon stressed that the U.S. played no part in the recent mercenary rebellion against Russia. Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder says the U.S. is solely focused on enabling Ukraine to defend itself against the Russian invasion. Smoke from Canadian wildfires has drifted into the United States, giving both Chicago and Detroit the worst air quality in the world during parts of yesterday. According to IQAir.com, the two were the worst cities in the world on the air quality index, alternating the top two spots for much of the day. Smaller cities in the Great Lakes region, like Grand Rapids, Michigan, saw even worse air quality. Conditions there reached code purple, which is the second worst AQI reading. The smoky conditions come just weeks after the Northeast was blanketed by this wildfire smoke caused by the wildfires 
in Canada. A bankruptcy judge is overseeing the purchase of Bed Bath & Beyond. The retail chain filed for bankruptcy back in April after years of struggling and dwindling sales. Yesterday, a New Jersey judge approved Overstock.com's purchase of the company for $21.5 million. And the football world is mourning the loss of a former NFL quarterback, former Arkansas and New England Patriots quarterback Ryan Mallett, drowned in Florida. Mallett was entering his second season as the head coach at Whitehall High School in Arkansas. He was 35 years old. What an awful story. I know. Um, Praying for the consolation of his family, the repose of his soul. 35, man. Yeah. Um, You you recall, by the way, uh, that uh, Peyton Hillis almost drowned, uh, notable for being, among other things, a Browns running back. And he Mm -hmm. was... Uh, actually saving somebody's life at the time. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah. Be safe out there this summer. Please. There's uh, a lot of things that I are... mean, you think about it, he must have been, like, physically fit and sure. strong, and yet, you know, this can happen to a grown man. Yeah, we need to be safe out there in the waters. Be safe out there in the waters. Have fun, but be safe. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Sorry to end on such a depressing note. No, but, I mean... Yeah. You know what? You know what I say. That uh, I don't care who you are, who you played for, what you did, how we interacted or didn't interact in this life. You die, I'm going to pray for you. If I go first, you do the same for me. You bet, Matt. Totally. Well, today is Wednesday, June the 28th. It's the feast of Saint Irenaeus of Lyon. He is the earliest of the doctors of the church in terms of chronology on the church calendar, but the most recent to be named a doctor of the church as he was just proclaimed a doctor of the church by Pope Francis like last year. St. Irenaeus, pray for us. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Philip Michael Tangora. He's a pastor, a canon lawyer, author of Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life and occasional actor. Good morning, Father. <laughs> Good morning. Father, what were you doing yesterday? Uh, I was playing the role of King David at our Catholic summer camp. At our... Wow. So, so what all fun. did that involve? Well, obviously, you got to dress up like King David, and you have to have the uh, other you know, teenagers getting involved in the skit and all that kind of stuff for the younger kids so that they could learn that wonderful story about King David dancing before the uh, Ark of the Covenant as they brought it in. So were uh, you so were you dancing too? Uh, yes, I was. <laughs> if oh, you could nice. call it that, I am a graduate of the Walter Matthau School of Dance. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a singer, not so much a dancer. Is that what you're telling uh, me? There we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So this to um, you know kind of introduce us to the topic today, which is. The importance of it, you called it a parish summer camp, a lot of parishes putting on yeah. vacation Bible school Bible in in yeah. the summers, um, you know, once school is out. What do you think is the importance of doing something like that when it comes to the religious formation of our children? Well, you know, they have the classroom uh, aspect of religious education during that during the academic year. And that's very important. Absolutely. You know, we need to teach 
religious education and show that religious education is an actual uh, course of study, just the way that like math or English or science are when they're in uh, their regular schools. So they have to take it seriously. It is something that needs to be uh, properly instructed. But at the same time, uh, it's also very important for them to have a, if you will, lighter side of seers uh, kind of ex- experience with uh, the faith and see that they can learn the faith and it's fun and it's energizing and that they can have this uh, opportunity to uh, play and make those friendships amongst the other Catholic kids in your parish and all those kinds of good and healthy things uh, and experience God in that way. Uh, This year, what we did was the parts of the mass. So they're learning all the different parts of the mass uh, and actually taking from my book, Holiness and Living the Sacramental Life, we're applying the different parts of the mass to the liturgical season. So they understand how it represents the whole life of Jesus and so, you know, they, they have the penitential act is the Advent moment, Gloria's Christmas moment, all oh, those yeah. kinds of things. And it's a good way for them to uh, memorize those things. Yeah, I remember going through that when we, uh, yeah, when yeah, we yeah. were first going through holiness and living the sacramental life. Now, you know, parishes, um, many of them, you know, the the DRE or or whatever catechist is is heading mm-hmm. up the parish summer camp or the vacation Bible school. I mean, it's a lot of work to put something like that together. It and is. So there are a lot of, you know, traveling groups like Totus Tuus, for instance, that, mm-hmm. a, that a parish can bring in that does this um, specifically in the summers. But I think most parishes, and maybe I'm speaking out of turn, but I think most parishes <laughs> probably do some prepackaged program that uh, comes from a company. I think there are more specifically Catholic ones available anymore, but a lot of these prepackaged programs come from Protestant companies. Do you think that's an issue? I think it could be, for sure. Um, That's one of the reasons why my parish renamed it. We didn't do vacation Bible school through like the Protestant organization. We used, uh, we created our own Catholic summer camps and we've done like the luminous mysteries. We've done now the parts of the mass. We've done the seven sacraments, you know, so we can actually make it uh, a bit more tailored to our Catholic kids, Catholic experience of prayer and all that. Uh, You know, some of these programs are, are, are perfectly benign, especially for the younger kids. But, uh, you know, we do want to actually have our Catholic children, uh, when they have a summer camp opportunity, to be formed by our Catholic faith. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you say they're perfectly okay. benign, do you think they're perfectly banal as well? <laughs> well, you know, it's been a long time since I've actually experienced one of those uh, vacation Bible schools in my. So I, I don't want to speak from sure. my own experience okay. at this point anymore. But I have seen some of these vacation Bible schools, and I remember talking to the parents, and I'm like, "Why are you teaching them that? <laughs> That's not our faith." Oh wow! <laughs> you know, so uh, sometimes you do have to actually look, and the, the DRE or whoever it is needs to make sure that the programs and the different things that are going to be taught in a vacation Bible school are consonant with our Catholic faith, and that puts a little bit more of an onus on the pastor and the DRE uh, to do that. 
But I know like we're very blessed. Uh, I know that Mark, my parish has been working on this for three, four months, you know, uh, to put it all together. It takes a lot of effort. We've got like 15 or so teenage volunteers. We've got like 15 or so adult volunteers. We have water day today. So Ooh. that means I get to shoot. I get to shoot the kids with water pistols, which nice. is really good. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Okay. So tell us about the planning that that went into your parish summer camp and and what you would recommend to parishes uh, to create their own instead of, you know, going to one of these prepackaged programs. Yeah. Well, it's very simple. I mean, all you need to do is pick a simple theme. So like, even if you did the rosary, Mysteries of the Rosary, say, just do the Luminous one year. And then you could do the glorious and all the rest, you know, each it's four years right there, you know, and it's very easy to put on like a little uh, catechetical lesson with a skit with uh, the teenagers for the younger kids uh, on one of the mysteries do each use five days of the week. You got five mysteries for each one of the sets. of the, So you just do something like that. Uh, you can have an arts and crafts project. You could have them teach, learn a song that might be each day focused on one of those mysteries. It's not that hard. It just takes a little bit of creativity and the effort to uh, put it together. And I'm very blessed by uh, people here at Queen of Peace and, and our neighbor parish, St. Thomas, St. James and Montague to really, uh, you know, just do do that, make that effort and make something really good for these kids. Can I have permission? And have, the pastors got to get involved. The pastors got the priests there, the deacons, whatever. They got to get involved. You got to play with the kids. Okay, so to that end, just as, you know, for research purposes for other pastors and, and parish ministers mm -hmm. that are listening right now, um, do I have permission to put up the picture of you as King David on our Facebook page? Permission granted. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, go to sonrisemorningshow.com. And in fact, I might send this to Matt and see if we can use it as your official Sunrise Morning Show oh, picture no. <laughs> that shows up in our show notes every time. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I don't know how right, good Matt's skills are. are with Photoshop because I don't want the other kids to have to uh, be subjected yeah, yeah. to such torture. Father Philip Michael Tangoro, it was so good God to talk bless to you. you Anna Thank you God so bless much. You. Take care. All right, it's 17 past. We're back with headlines right after this. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. 
Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. 18 past. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden has said at an event yesterday in Maryland that as a practicing Catholic, he's, quote, not big on abortion, but will continue to defend it as a right. 31 Catholic congressmen and women, meanwhile, have signed on to a letter now made public expressing pride in being, quote, part of the faithful pro-choice Catholic majority. And Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is beginning his two-day mission in Moscow today. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, just a remark, and uh, I don't want to single out President Biden specifically because I feel like he is not the only person who says things like, I am not big on X, but I will uphold the law. I am personally opposed to, well, it's usually used in the case of abortion. Actually, it's pretty much only used in the case of of abortion. I'm personally opposed to abortion but I don't want my private beliefs to influence the way I govern. Mm-hmm. I just, for as a mental, mental exercise, remove the word abortion whenever you hear that and replace it with like literally any other, other issue. I'm personally opposed to union regulation, but I don't want my private beliefs to influence the way I govern. Mm-hmm. Personally opposed to like NAFTA or U.S. participation in the United Nations. Or... Well, here, the... <laughs> I like I, literally letters, you got elected because people cared about what you did and did not actually believe. Well, I I found it so interesting in the, the letter support. from the the Congress men and women saying that our faith promotes the common good, the dignity of every human being, the need of a collective safety net. I personally believe net, in the common but, good, but I don't want my personal private beliefs to influence the way that I got. Exactly. Like that don't it, are you not going to impose those religious beliefs on others? I really? personally believe in speed limits, but I don't want to impose my... Nest Tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack with the Sacred Heartbeat. One of the titles given to the Sacred Heart of Jesus is Burning Furnace of Charity. 
Who can purify the human heart? Who can change our selfish love into a selfless love? The answer to both these questions is Jesus Christ. Christ's love for all people is intense and passionate. He desires to purify our hearts of all those things that prevent us from truly receiving God's grace. The mystics have described the heart of Jesus as a burning furnace which destroys sin. God puts nothing in the path of his love for us, but we put many things in the way of our love for God. By giving our hearts and souls and minds and bodies over to the Lord, we're asking him to remake us over into his image, not ours. Let us not be afraid to enter into the furnace of God's love. It's the only way that we will ever know Christ better. Heart of Jesus, burning furnace of charity, pray for us. The Sunrise Morning Show continues, and we're joined now by Andrew Pettifrin, who's got a piece over at Catholic World Report on Pope Francis's letter about Blaise Pascal. Andrew, welcome back. Glad to be back, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well, and uh, Pascal, uh, some people know him for his wager, some people know him for math, uh, but there's a lot more beyond that to know about Pascal. Uh, were you surprised that Pope Francis did a letter about him? Well, I was a little surprised, Matt. I, I, didn't, I didn't see it coming. I have to admit, I'm, uh, I'm an admirer of Pascal's work, uh, but I didn't happen to know that it, we were coming up on the 400th anniversary of his birth, but we were, and um, Pope Francis obviously was aware of that and wanted to mark the occasion by um, telling the faithful about this great, um, this great Catholic thinker. And so just a few days ago, on June 19th, he, as you say, he issued this apostolic letter called Sublimitas et Miseria Hominis, or The Grandeur and Misery of Man, where he tells us a little bit about Blaise Pascal. And, you know, to your question about whether it was surprising that Pope Francis in particular wanted to single out Pascal, uh, I think not, for a number of reasons. One of them is um, Pascal, like Pope Francis, uh, had an interest in, in science, and um, you know, he uh, was an inventor and a, ma and a mathematician, and I know uh, Pope Francis, who worked uh, and trained in chemistry as a younger man, must have uh, found certain affinities with Pascal on that account. And then um, the other reason is I, I think there's a lot about Pascal's faith that, um, that we can see in some of the things Pope Francis says and does. Um, Pascal was a man who believed very much in the, um, the gift of human reason and that human reason could solve a lot of human problems, but also believed that we um, were deeply in need of God's grace um, to choose the good and to be saved by Christ. Which brings us to one of the most misunderstood legacies of Pascal, which is his wager, which you know a lot of people think can be summarized as, well, you might as well believe in God just in case you die and there is one, and then your uh, bases are covered. <laughs> in fact, Pascal uh, himself you know, and to just borrow a quote directly from him, he says, the infinite abyss inside us can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, by God himself. Pascal did more than wager in his own spiritual life, but what was he really saying with the wager? Yeah, well, Pascal's wager, um, you know, I hope listeners may just um, go research that themselves, because it's a very important concept, and it's something that Pascal is is very well known for. And something I point out in the article that I wrote for Catholic World Report is that Pope Francis doesn't actually address the question of Pascal's wager in his apostolic letter. 
And that may be for a variety of reasons. One probably is, as you say, it's a, it's a rather misunderstood concept, and maybe he just didn't want to get in the weeds with that. But it's an important concept, too, because as you were alluding to, the thing is, we, we all live our lives, whether we believe in God or are skeptics or are even atheists, we all live our lives in a state of a sort of wager. We're all kind of betting our existence on on a certain reality that we are um, supposing to be true. And so, you know, for a skeptic, um, that's a person who's always walking a tightrope over, uh, over a chasm that is um, that where faith is contained. And, and people of faith are, in a sense, always looking ahead and, and wondering if what they believe is true, too. So we're always sort of taking that leap of faith, which Kierkegaard would later talk about. Um, but Pascal says, you know, the thing is that the, the benefits of faith, um, not just in the life of the world to come, but in this world, are so great, um, that, and, and the cost really so low, that it is incumbent upon us to, um, to, to be sure that we're kind of taking that bet, that we're, that we're walking the right road, which in his mind is not onerous. It is not um, a killjoy religion, but actually the opposite, that, that the reality of God is joy itself. And so if we take that wager, we are um, invited into that joy. I mean, really, who would you like planning your holidays for you, the Catholic Church or Walmart? You know, I mean, <laughs> the the consumer exactly. industry will create a, a a religious festivity on the calendar and a way to practice it, uh, no matter what. I mean, we're going to be finding rituals in some other way. But you know, as you're talking about skeptics and leaps of faith, I cannot help but think of uh, Indiana Jones with the new movie coming out, who is a very interesting place. I I hold out hope that Indiana Jones may be saved. I don't know if I, <laughs> I mean, but because here's a guy who acts all in the world like a skeptic when it comes to the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant, but he also sort of treats it like it's real at various points, yeah. you know? And so uh, I think a lot of people kind of hang in that balance of, you know, wanting to be skeptical, but also not wanting to be all the way skeptical, not fully agnostic even. Maybe even if it's superstition driving it, you still hope that there's something in there of faith in them that's causing them to just say, you know, here's some lines that I won't cross. Yeah, and you know, Pope Francis kind of highlights that that very idea that is present in the works of Pascal as well. He he looks at Pascal as a an evangelistic figure because he is not somebody who says that you're you're just going to convince someone to be a person of faith by a, a just pure proposition, right? You're not you're not just going to you're not going to just present a, a nice tidy wrapped up argument and then somebody will say, "Oh, great, I'm I'm 100% in," and that's that. We all live lives of faith and doubt. We all do. And so, you know, Pascal is somebody who comforts us, um, as some of the, some of the greatest um, Catholic thinkers do, in, you know, understanding how to just continue to walk that road of faith um, amid all the things that are coming at us, as you say, in the world, all the competing religions that are on offer uh, in our world today. Yeah, if you don't worship God, you will worship, I don't know, a baseball team. I mean, it's just kind of how it works. As you quote from Bob Dylan in your article, it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Well, we've got your article for Catholic World Report linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Also, andrewpetterprin.com if you want to check out more about Andrew's work. Thanks so much as always. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Matt. And again, at sunrisemorningshow.com, find all kinds of things. Put in your email and subscribe to our show notes as well. Half past the hour, here's Anna with news.
Good morning. President Biden said, uh, has said, as a practicing Catholic, he's, quote, not big on abortion, but will continue to defend it as a right. He was speaking at a Maryland fundraiser yesterday and said, quote, Roe v. Wade got it right and went on to criticize states that have passed laws restricting abortion since last year's Supreme Court decision that overturned Roe. Biden has previously made his personal feelings about abortion known, but has said that he will continue to protect access to the abortion pill and just the day before the Dobbs anniversary signed an executive order increasing the availability of contraception. Meanwhile, 31 Democratic congressmen and women have signed on to a letter expressing pride in being, quote, part of the faithful pro-choice Catholic majority. In their letter, which was dated on June 24th, the first anniversary of the Dobbs decision, they said, quote, our faith unfailingly promotes the common good, prioritizes the dignity of every human being, and highlights the need to provide a collective safety net to our most vulnerable. But they go on to say that they can't impose their religious beliefs on others. They said, quote, the fundamental tenets of our Catholic faith, social justice, conscience, and religious freedom compel us to defend a woman's right to access abortion. They say we are committed to advocating for the respect and protection of those making the decision if and when to have children, end quote. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi is beginning his two-day mission in Moscow today. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Pope Francis is sending Cardinal Matteo Maria Zuppi as his envoy to Moscow to foster dialogue and seek a peaceful solution to Russia's war in Ukraine. The visit aims to strengthen gestures of humanity that can contribute to promoting a solution to the current tragic situation and find paths toward a just peace. Cardinal Zuppi will be accompanied by an official from the Secretariat of State. As he visits Moscow, Cardinal Zuppi will likely uphold Pope Francis's desire for a resolution to the war on the European continent. The Pope has been a vocal advocate for peace, consistently calling on world leaders and individuals alike to work towards resolving conflict through peaceful means. He has made countless appeals for prayers for people suffering due to the war in Ukraine. The Italian-born Cardinal's visit comes on the heels of his previous visit to Kiev on June 5th and 6th, during which he met with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and other high-level government officials. During the meeting in Kiev, Cardinal Zuppi conveyed Pope Francis's concern for the Ukrainian people. The Cardinal emphasized the need for parties involved to prioritize dialogue and find common ground for a just resolution to the war. The meeting with President Zelensky provided an opportunity to discuss steps to alleviate suffering, rebuild trust, and advance reconciliation. Cardinal Zuppi reiterated the Vatican's readiness to assist through diplomatic channels and humanitarian initiatives. As the papal peace envoy, Cardinal Zuppi's visit to Moscow seeks to underscore the Holy See's dedication to actively engage in peace-building efforts and collaborate with international partners on behalf of peace. I'm Devin Watkins. Meanwhile, the United States is announcing another $500 million weapons package for Ukraine. Yesterday, the Biden administration announced it will be sending weapons, equipment, and armored vehicles to replenish those lost in battle. The news comes the same day the Pentagon stressed that the U.S. played no part in the recent mercenary rebellion against Russia. Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder says the U.S. is solely focused on enabling Ukraine to defend itself against Russian invasion.
Smoke from the Canadian wildfires has drifted into the U.S., giving both Chicago and Detroit the worst air quality in the world for parts of Tuesday. According to IQAir.com, the two were the worst cities in the world on the air quality index, alternating the top two spots for much of the day. More than $200 billion in potential COVID relief pandemic funds were lost in fraudulent schemes. A report by the Inspector General of the Small Business Administration shows the total adds up to about 17% of the total funds updated from previous estimates. Nearly $30 billion of those funds have been reclaimed by the Inspector General's office and other agencies. That's the news on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 past six. The This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Should we wait until we are in extreme danger before we receive anointing of the sick? We should not wait until we are in extreme danger before we receive anointing of the sick. But if possible, we should receive it while we have the use of our senses. How many times have I been called to a hospital bed to anoint someone only to find that that person has slipped into a coma? The family says, you know, just yesterday she was talking about all sorts of things. And then they call me. It's too bad because we want a person to be conscious when they receive this great sacrament. And with full will, we are able to say, yes, Jesus, I want to see you. Try to get the priest to come and visit your family member when they are in a state of full consciousness and when they are able to respond and to have a conversation. It won't make them afraid. Rather, when the priest comes, it can bring great consolation for their souls and preparation for eternal life. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father John Gavin, and we've been going through the Catechism with him and looking at the various ways that the Church Fathers are quoted in the Catechism. Today we get to talk about one of my favorite verses and one of my favorite Church Fathers. Father Gavin, good morning. Good morning. So the verse that leads off paragraph 683 in the Catechism is really the basis for all ecumenical conversations. (laughs) It's where St. Paul Mm. says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So whenever I'm talking to any of my Protestant friends of any stripe and wondering if they're a Christian and they're wondering if I'm a Christian, I always lean hard on this verse. Very, very, very good choice. And I think, as you said, we have a great theologian who also shares that with you uh, today in Irenaeus of Lyon. He's probably one of the, I think we've seen one of the most quoted fathers of the Church in the Catechism. Well, he is all over the place, and we've talked about him a whole lot before in this segment. But in 
this particular paragraph, uh, I wonder if you could talk about what he has to say about the Holy Spirit's role in knowledge of the faith. Sure. Well, just uh, before the paragraph, I just thought I'd mention where it comes from. It, his major work is called Adversus Heresies Against the Heresies, but this quote actually comes from a much, much shorter work uh, called the Epidaxis, or Demonstration of the Faith, that uh, we only had pieces of until just the last century, the 20th century. We rediscovered the uh, whole work, it's quite short, <clears throat> in an Armenian translation, so it's just wonderful that we have it now. And in looking at the paragraph here, uh, I just uh, even the first sentence, I would say something that one of my uh, professors in patristic said to me once. Uh, he said, when you look at the fathers of the Church, when you're reading them, uh, pay attention to the prepositions. He said, uh, there's a lot in the prepositions. The fathers uh, are very precise, and they, the prepositions say something to us. And if we look at the first uh, sentence in what uh, St. Irenaeus gives us, he says, baptism gives us the grace of new birth in God the Father, through his Son, in the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, for those who bear God's Spirit are led to the Word, that is, to the Son, and the Son presents them to the Father, and the Father confers incorruptibility on them. So it's, it, we can actually take a look at this from the perspective of prepositions. So, for instance, I, w- I would just start out with uh, kind of reversing it, in the Spirit. Okay, so he uses in there. And uh, really, he, he is saying that we become inspirited, uh, that we are no longer in the world, uh, beholden to the world and to the world's values, but when we receive the Holy Spirit in baptism, uh, we are now inspirited, inspired, the, the Spirit in us. And so uh, the Spirit is now the one who leads us and fills us, right? Uh, and that's why he says in that sentence that it is the Spirit, then, who bears us to the Son, right? Then we get through the Son, the Son is the mediator because the Son is both God and man, Jesus, right? Uh, so it is through Him and through Him alone, when we are brought to Him by the Spirit, that we come to know the Father. And then he concludes by saying, in God the Father. Uh, he, he's saying that we come to share in the very life of the Father. Uh, we are participating in our Creator's very life in that gift that we have in baptism. So these prepositions, in, through, and in, uh, take us through the, the life of the Trinity and into the very life uh, of God. It's really very precise, very marvelous how he works it out further in that paragraph. It's, it's so fascinating to me, you know, to contextualize Irenaeus of Lyon, this is not some high Middle Ages church father who has reflected on centuries upon centuries of Christian thought and said, you know, over time we've developed this really, you know, complex theology of baptism, you know, after generations upon generations of Christianity. I mean, this is the beginning of the Church. Oh, yes, I mean, this is, this is only uh, the second century, and already we see uh, the, the, the core truths of our faith being uh, articulated in, as I just showed with those prepositions and other elements in there, I mean, in a very precise way, but yet a very compelling way. I mean, he's. Uh, I encourage everyone to read the Epidaxis. It's, it's very short, but it's just a marvelous exposition of the faith 
grounded in the scriptures, enlivening it in such a way that uh, we really see how uh, the faith draws us into the life uh, in in the spirit. Uh, so yes, this is already happening, and it's clearly a sign of the spirit. If we want to talk about a sign of the spirit, how the spirit is forming in the church. Uh, this articulation of our faith, of the truths of uh, Revelation, in such a powerful way. And in such a powerful way, like I say, uh, you know, just in the second century. And I don't know about you, but I think the thing that shocks me most about Irenaeus is that it was only within the last couple of years that he was put up as a doctor of the Church, (laughs) because I thought he already was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is amazing. Uh, I mean, it's a wonderful title uh, that the, the Church confers, it, uh, but sometimes, yes, uh, it takes us a little longer historically to really, uh, to really fully recognize that. But I think one of the, that's been one of the discoveries for me as we've been going through the Catechism in this way, is how present he is there, uh, that uh, the fact that he is one of the uh, most quoted fathers in uh, the Catechism is indicative of how ancient our faith is, how uh, we can go back, as we were just saying, to the second century and discover uh, the formation of our faith that, I guess, other fathers and great thinkers from Thomas on have been bringing to us uh, century after century. Well, I know people who it took them a long time to get their doctorate, but Irenaeus, I think, has got the record. It's some like eighteen hundred years. So there you go. Yes, yes, uh, you know, it took and and that you know his dissertation has just been in front of us the whole time. I know, I know. Talk about some board members dragging their feet. My goodness, <laughs> Father John Gavin, thank you so much. We have got mysteries of the Lord prayer, Lord's prayer linked at sunrisemorningshow dot com. Have a great day. God bless. Hey, Anna Mitchell, there's so many great quotes to pull from Irenaeus, but I love this one. Figured I'll share it since people are talking Eucharistic revival. Oh, okay. And we're uh, moving into the month of the precious blood. But uh, St. Irenaeus says this. He says, Just as bread from the earth, when it receives the invocation of God, is no longer common bread, but the Eucharist, made up of two elements, one earthly and one heavenly, so also our bodies, in receiving the Eucharist, are no longer corruptible, for they have the hope of resurrection. Mm. That's not a late Middle Ages thing that's what the church believed at the beginning it's incredible so um i was thinking about i i'm still so struck by the fact that there was just one person be him between him and saint john the beloved and there's a quote um he says for this is why the word became man and the son of god became the son of man so that man, by entering into communion with the Word and thus receiving divine sonship, might become a son of God. And I bring up this quote because it, it sounds very much like like Saint Athanasius, right? The, that um, that man might become God. That that famous quote that that gets used in the Catechism as well. Um, but you can so clearly see that St. Irenaeus was formed in the theology of St. John the Beloved by just in the way that, that you see this. When you, when you read students, of you see elements of their teachers in there, and, and you can still see it even one generation on. And, of course, you can see it how many multiples of generations beyond that in, in our teaching today. It's the same teaching 
from the it beginning. Is. And it helps you understand when when you know that Irenaeus is thinking specifically of St. John the Apostle, right, who was there at the foot of the cross, the transfiguration, who laid his head on Jesus's chest at the Last Supper. When he says apostles, he's not referring to them in the abstract when he says this. He says, it is not necessary to seek among others the truth which is easily obtained from the church. For the apostles, including John, right, mm -hmm. like a rich man in a bank deposited with her, the church, everything which pertains to the truth, and everyone who ever wishes draws from her the drink of life. If there should be a dispute over some kind of question, ought we not to have recourse to the most ancient churches mm -hmm. in which the apostles were familiar mm -hmm. and draw from them what is clear and certain mm -hmm. in regard to that question? Irenaeus doesn't think of himself as reflecting on some interesting ideas that he read from some old sources. He's seeing himself as a guardian of a trust. He is the guy standing in front of the safe inside the bank saying, this is what we were given. Well, and let's this not forget, I mean, it's so funny to hear St. Irenaeus call it ancient when we're thinking about some, you know, when you, when you think about the fact that St. John the Apostle was just like 100 years before him. But what we can see here is that, I mean, God didn't invent something new at Pentecost. That was the faith from the beginning. We see it in, in a new light at Pentecost, but that was God's plan from the beginning. So when Irenaeus is talking about the ancient faith, he's talking about the beginning. He's talking and about all the way back. that is our inheritance here in the Catholic Church. You're going to get me rolling. i got to stop talking now. I know. we got to stop talking. we got to get to Father Thomas Berg. He's coming Oof. up next. There you go. It's 12 till. Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the Ignatian Prayer Series, can now train you and others electronically to become facilitators and bring the Ignatian way of prayer to your parish. Come to know and love Jesus Christ like never before and help others do the same. Don't pass up the opportunity to join this work of the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. That's LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on Digital Training. Support from Angel Studios. This July 4th from Angel Studios, who brought you his only son and the chosen, comes a true story of courage and redemption. Sound of Freedom, starring Jim Caviezel, who portrayed Jesus in The Passion, and Academy Award winner Mira Sorvino. Inspired by remarkable acts of bravery, Sound of Freedom unveils the true events of a dangerous mission to save young, innocent lives. A story that shares hope and the power of human resilience. Sound of Freedom. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters July 4th. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. Hi, this is Janet Williams. Please join us for Women of Grace today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time on EWTN Radio. Wipe that sleep out of your eyes and now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with Father Thomas Berg, and we're discussing themes coming out of his book, Choosing Forgiveness, Unleash the Power of God's Grace. And Father, we've just been talking about the wounds that we have and, and the 
consequences that come about if you don't forgive the person who inflicted those wounds upon you. We've talked about the power of forgiveness, but sometimes we wonder, how do I go about doing this? How do I go about forgiving this person? Because just saying it doesn't necessarily make it so, right? That's exactly right. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck because you you might find yourself kind of trying to convince yourself, well, I, I forgave this person. I, I did, but I like I just can't get over it. And and that's where I think we we see that most of the time, especially with the deeper hurts in life, um, it takes more than just the kind of sort of superficial, yeah, well, I'm over it, you know. Um, it's really a process. So so in the book, um, we've, uh, thanks to uh, Dr. Robert Enright, who's um, a psychologist who's spent a lot of time working on forgiveness, we kind of adapted from him uh, four steps of a process. So number one, I think we have to understand that you know forgiveness is a process, which means it takes time, but also that you have to be very intentional about it and more intentional than people think. You know, this really, um, you know, forgive. And the, the other thing, too, that I think is confusing, people do kind of we tend to think of forgiveness as a feeling like I'm, I'm supposed to feel something or it's you know, there may be feelings that accompany forgiveness. And in the best of all possible scenarios, these are good feelings and positive feelings. And um, but we've got to remember that to forgive is an act of the will. Right. It's a choice. So I might not necessarily feel anything, or I could even, you know, the next day I could still feel some very adverse things. So we've got to distinguish the kind of feelings from the act of forgiveness itself, which is um, a, a choice, a decision. And so the four steps, uh, just to walk through them very quickly, that we um, describe at length in the book um, is number one, uncovering. Uh, two, deciding, three, what we call proclaiming, and then four, deepening. The first step, uncovering, is, is really to take the time necessary to get at all of the elements of this hurt that I'm dealing with. And there may be multiple layers of that. Uh, there may be multiple things that I need, you know, that a person needs to forgive their spouse for, or their, or a child needs to forgive their father for, or their um, multiple things. And that literally takes time, uh, time as in spending time walking, thinking, reflecting, praying, uh, spending time before the Blessed Sacrament, spending time with my diary or my journal, like just getting this stuff out, uncovering, because uh, a lot of times the, the kind of more immediate hurt that we're dealing with, that's just the tip of the iceberg. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. But think of just resentments in marriage mm -hmm. between spouses. There's usually several layers of stuff there, you know, kind of like sediment that's settled. And you got to uncover that and if you really want to do this well and deeply and really be free. Um, so uncovering that, which kind of gets collected ideally in a, like a journal, like a, a diary, and you kind of write this stuff out. And then comes the step of deciding um, and actually being ready to make that decision. Uh, meaning I, I get to a point where, okay, I'm ready to do this. And it's very important for people to understand that it's okay to 
need time to get ready to do this. I've had a number of people go through this process of uncovering and they're telling me it's, it's working very well. I'm not ready to actually make that decision yet, um, but I'm getting there mm -hmm. and that's okay. You know, we got to understand that's okay. Um, when we're ready to do that, then we, we, what we talk about in the book is proclaiming it, meaning that we literally take a day, a time we sit down and uh, I think for, for committed Catholics to do this very prayerfully, to do this before the Blessed Sacrament, to bring that journal or that diary and write down the date and write and write it down. I forgive so-and-so for, and then list all of the things. And this might be a long kind of litany of things, um, but it's there, it's proclaimed. It's And how beautiful to proclaim that, that before our really Lord and the powerful, Blessed Sacrament. Father. Yeah. Um, and it, this and, and the thing about this is that it here's where it really becomes intentional, because now I've got a day, a time, a date. And I can always look back at that and say, OK, I did this. Yeah. OK, we did this with God's grace. We did this. And and this is where, you know, I'm always just thinking of Ephesians 3.20. So beautiful. Where, you know, Paul praises God, who is able to accomplish far more than all we can ask or imagine by the power at work within us. Mm -hmm. We always have to remember that forgiving is a gift. It's a grace. And this is where we really can experience that power, um, especially when forgiveness seemed impossible. God can bring us to that place where we can actually proclaim it. Yeah. So it's we not over there? Do it. And, so, and it's, 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 we've still, what, when we get to that, when we get to that point, um, that's a beautiful thing and it's powerful. But then we can also find that what we need to do is deepen it. And that's the that's the fourth step, which can be a long uh, process beyond that in which I I actually have to renew that forgiveness mm -hmm. and and also even put myself in the place of the person who offended me with yeah. empathy. And oh, wow. So that's the process. There, those are four steps. And uh, with God's grace, it can be extremely powerful and healing. Well, there's so much more that you can read about in the book, Choosing Forgiveness, Unleash the Power of God's Grace, with an example of a prayer that you can use in that journaling that Father was just describing to us. Uh, you can find Choosing Forgiveness linked at sunrisemorningshow.com to pick up a copy for yourself. Father Thomas Berg, thank you. Great being with you. It was great to have you. And that'll do it for this national edition of the Sunrise Morning Show on this feast of St. Irenaeus of Lyon. EWTN, we will look forward to talking to you again tomorrow on the feast of Saints Peter and Paul tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Ryan Lopez here.